hunting, fishing, loving every day. That's the prayer that a country boy prays. Thank God he made me this way. I'm a country boy. Hunting, fishing, and loving every day. Welcome to Cross Training. <laughs> Where we look at faith and practice through biblical lens. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Tanner Higgins. And we, we, we've got a guest that, that has neither red hair nor terrible theology. <laughs> as far as we know yet. <laughs> Introduce yourself, sir. So I am Caleb Mackey, youth pastor here at Cookville Free Will Baptist Church. Well, no, no self-plugs. Get out of here. Oh. No, no. no, but Mason, Mason, Mason isn't here. Mason yeah. isn't here because he's Just with his girlfriend in. or something. I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I don't think they're getting engaged or nothing like that. Lord forbid. Um, <laughs> but we have someone, and the topic that we're talking about today is basically the outdoorsman and God. And so hunting, hunting, fishing, <laughs> loving every day. So here's the thing, me and Matthew are not hunters. Okay, I, you know, I've been hunting before with my dad. I've been fishing. I've got a fishing pole. But the thing is, though, I'm not an avid outdoorsman in the sense of hunting. I'll go camping all day long. I'll go and get my backpack, and we'll go overnight, and we'll camp. We'll start a fire. I'll get my can of spam. You can get your your pineapple, and we'll make yeah. yourself a nice meal. Yeah. But since Mason's not here, and Mason is a hunter, I'll give him that. But yet, Caleb here is a good friend of ours that yeah. has. A European mount and a bearded turkey on his wall yep. downstairs. So we also asked a theological man that has hunting experience to kind of give his uh, foresights in it as well. So welcome, Caleb Mackey, to the experience of cross training. <laughs> so uh, you listeners elect, if you uh, decide that you want to uh, badmouth him, that's fine. That's okay. You can email us. You can contact us on our social media and say how bad Caleb's theology sucks. But that's okay. I'm I'm used to it. But we still love you, brother. Yeah. Which the real, <laughs> the real dedicated fans uh, of cross training might remember that uh, Caleb's voice has been in the background of at least one of our episodes from from season one. A long time ago. See, he, he sat in on us recording once upon a time. And he did actually like he spoke not into a microphone though, so it was barely picked up. But he, he spoke. He's he's been there. It's been there all <laughs> along, much like the Holy Spirit that we like to talk about so much. That still small voice. Hey, Ryan. <laughs> hey, Ryan. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? Mm. So we talk about hunting and fishing, right? Yeah. So this is gonna be a well, goodness, I, I swear every recording we do, I say this is gonna be a little bit of a different episode. Like I'm sure it's every just, episode I, of season two is gonna be different. I'm, it's been different. I'm beating a dead horse with that phrase. Uh, but this isn't going to be so much a debate because, for one, I'm pretty sure all three of us agree that hunting, hunting's fine. There's there's nothing wrong yeah. with eating animals. Like, spoiler alert, like, there you go. Uh, but basically, we're just going to be talking about, like, what does the Bible have to say about hunting, about uh, the use of the animal? And I'm actually going to kind of, uh, I dug into a little bit in my notes on kind of a biblical history of vegetarianism. And that's not to say that eating meat isn't okay, which, again, we'll get into, but that is a lifestyle that some people choose. And there is some biblical backing for wanting to pursue that. So is this sponsored by PETA? Oh, whew. I've just got a bad history with PETA. Just kidding. But also, even though— I, I didn't know about this story. I'll have to hear about PETA. this Oh, Because PETA sends you, like, unsolicited mail all the time. So, like, I've yeah. I've sent the mail back before to get off their mailing list. And Was I, it nice? Was it Christ-like? <laughs> Probably not. Oh. Well, <laughs> well it, it's like those commercials, too. I just always turn the TV off. Yeah. You have TV? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't. Oh. Well, I do have TV, but, yeah, you know, you know, dishing cables kind of things of the past. Streaming services. 
Heads up. Millennials. But yeah, I mean, we've kind of all agree that hunting and fishing isn't like mm-hmm. sinful in itself. But yet, is there a right way and is there a wrong way as a Christian to take in the sustenance and to uh, to go about getting their food? Basically, I've kind of got the sub. I got the title for my notes. It's like, what's for dinner? You know, for Christians, what what's for dinner in that sense? And is there a good way to go about it? So I think one of the things that we talked yeah. about before we started recording that there was an incident with Fairlife, mm-hmm. and Fairlife is uh, you know a, a sub company owned by Coca Cola that is focused on like uh, dairy products, uh, spe- specifically with milk and uh, stuff like that instead of cheese. I'm sure they do cheese too. But some of the stuff that they were doing with that company, Fairlife, was very abusive to these animals to the point where it was almost inhumane. And what does inhumane look like to animals? And I think one of the questions that when it comes to dealing with the relationship between God, humans, and animals, and I'm going to subcategorize animals along with just life other than humans in general because you can also count plants and seeds and stuff like that as life in itself. But yet... The next closest thing to living life as humans would probably be other animals such as cows and donkeys and whatnots that have hearts and brains and eyes and legs. So the question I kind of want to talk about beforehand to get in a pre-subject a little bit of you know Christian philosophy was like, what about before the fall? And this is something that can be discussed, is to be debated. I don't really want to debate about this topic, but yet this is the same thing that I kind of want to see Pre-fall, the question, is animal death a result of the fall of man, or is it a part of God's design? I kind of want to ask you all's opinion of that first. My opinion is, I mean, basically, we don't know for sure, but if I want to assume, I would, I would, my guess would be the fall caused animal to turn on animal, man to turn on man. Same principle. So would sustenance be done a different way? Sure. You know, I think you see water still as a major probably source of fuel. Um, I think you also see um, the the tree, the fruit, um, whether that's vegetable, whether that's what we per- perceive as fruit. Uh, I think it's all the same category, but I think that's what they eat. I mean, what do you think, Matthew? Personally, are we having te- technical difficulties? Uh, I'll just turn his knobs up. He, he doesn't project quite as well as Mason our resident does. redhead does. That's so. true. Okay. So if there was a little bit of interesting audio there, dear listener, I apologize. But hopefully that's fixed now. Speak up, Caleb. Uh, I'm, <laughs> this is one of those things where I kind of suffered from the Mandela effect, if you've ever heard of that mm-hmm. phenomenon, yeah. where like you think you remember something, but turns out that like you're super wrong about this thing that you thought was just a given fact. I was under the impression that like prior to the fall, like there was – there was no meat eating period. Like mm-hmm. it was just, it was just the plants. Uh, and there are actually some interpretations of scripture that support that claim. But personally, the way I yeah. read it, uh, while God did give, uh, Adam the responsibility to name the animals, that didn't mean that like he was just supposed to be friends with them and, and not eat them. I think that it is absolutely implied in scripture that there was the eating of the animals, uh, prior to the fall. But to more directly answer your question, um, about like, or maybe it's something you brought up, Caleb. I'm, yeah. I was kind of focused on looking at sound stuff, sorry. <laughs> uh, about, like, animal turning on an animal. I don't see why the circle of life wouldn't have functioned the same way it does now at the time. Because, I mean, do we treat, like, animal-on-animal animal violence as being sin? Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I don't. It's I mean, just I'm disagree- the way I'm a, they function. Yeah, sorry. I wasn't agreeing with that statement that is a sinful. I'm saying that's a good uh, a, a 
that's a good statement to be made about animal interaction with sinful nature. So anytime that you see scripture, uh, when you see Bible that correlates sin and death, you know, death and sin, it's always referring to humans, not to animals in that sense that like because of animal sin, wait, hold up. So then we have to then we have to make that assumption that animals have a soul and that they have a sinful nature. But their nature is to eat, to feed, to breed, to sleep. So there is no free will upon well, there is free will upon an animal, but it's not a choice of having a free will such as humans. So an uh, a cat is going to hunt a mouse because it's its nature. Is it sinful for that cat to hunt a mouse? No. So this goes back to how you view Genesis. Are you going to view it as is it? 100% literal the way that it is, or are you going to look at it as, as allegorical, metaphorical? And by what I've seen, that I think that nature, have you ever you know, watched on National Geographic and watch like a lion pounce on a gazelle? It's almost beautiful. If you want my honest opinion, it is beautiful. Even though it is death in the sense of that gazelle dying, it is still beautiful to watch nature process in the way that it sinks. And if, even if you go down, down to the, the molecular level of the seed, for them to eat just fruit or just to eat these things of plants and trees and, and the garden, God set these things to motion, there had to be death in a cycle of a seed too. And so there, there has to be evidential, there has to be death pre-fall because it seems like for something for a healthy ecosystem there has to be death and rising of life such as plants such as animals dying and decaying and nutrients through that that sense and animals to to live and plants to grow and stuff like that and then let's also look in and this is a sticky tub i was thinking about this when i was putting this in my notes is that why would god make a saber-toothed tiger or a lion have carnivorous teeth but yet eat just plants and not eat other those those teeth are designed for shearing and tearing meat that's their design mm -hmm. so either you have to say yes those animals were designed and created in a way to eat other animals therefore being death in the garden or they went from a herbivore teeth and they evolved to a carnivorous teeth so you have to stand well, on one of the two here i think instead of using the word evolve you can say god changed Ew. Technically, you can. You can. I mean, I'm okay. just. I, I mean, I defended this man's you theology you at the top are, of the episode. Okay, you're, so, you have some S's Jesus right there. You're reading too much into it but, right there. But what, what I'm getting at is there can be a change that's made. We see that in the rose. In Genesis, he talks about how the rose will not have a thorn. I mean, technically, did, a, did it have a thorn pre fall? No. Does it have a purpose for a th thorn after fall? Yeah. But the thing is, though, that this is also an in, in interpretation because we're talking about death in the sense of yeah. humans and yeah. things correlating. It, in that it goes sense. back to how you take yeah. the book of Genesis, but, how you're going to stand on that. So heel. let's just let's just go to the principle in the <clears throat> sense: is it sinful, or is is animal death evil? When animals die, is it evil? Today, sure. I mean, no. just animal dying. Animal yeah, there's a animal. lot of context that has yeah, to go into say, that. Yeah, but no. it depends on the okay. context. Well, let's, yeah. go, let's go back to just the genesis in, in that sense. Is, is if, if death occurred in, in the garden in the sense of animal eating animal and, and a healthy ecosystem, is that evil in a sense? And does that make God author of evil, of pain, pain to animals? Wait, does that make God the author? Of, of evil with the painful oh, suffering no. of animals. I mean, I wouldn't say so. 
I would agree. I, I, I mean, animals hunting other animals is part of their nature, kind of with the cat analogy. And I think C.S. Lewis actually makes mention of that in uh, Mere Christianity. You know, the, of, yeah. that's its yeah. nature. Uh, and I don't think that's not the result of sin. I think the way that it, I think the way that humans have used that, have used and abused. I, th- I think it comes down to like f- the combination of free will and the ability to like empathize. Like yeah. humans see and feel and think in ways that animals can't. I mean, they are very much slaves to their instincts. I mean, it's just how they function. Like it's, it's no hard feelings when. I think that that's where a lot is put on us as humans. Yeah, that's part uh, of being as made caretakers God's of, of of God's, yeah. as stewards of God's land and His animals. What are we doing to help? Our surroundings, basically, from plants to animals. I think you can go beyond animals there. Yeah, and this is where I think this yeah. goes back to if you're looking at the Genesis account to look at it not as let's talk about something we can come together about the big message of the story of Genesis is that it's a it's a conversation between God, His creation, and the relationship between God, His creation, and man. It's like a tricycle between these three. So how do we interact with His creation, and how do we interact with God and His creation at the same time that is healthy? In that sense, and so, what about so after the fall? We so now we're all in the same boat. After the fall, we're not we're not we see the death of man, man against man, man against animal, animal against animal type deal thing. We're, we see a, a very uh, uh, parallel of what we see today. So pre-flood. So what about the relationship between animal and man at this time? Do you think you think God? What do you, what do you think? I mean, the thing is, if you're going off of like God's statements on like what's going to change post fall like there is no mention of like our relationship with uh animals changing there there is the the difference of the the ground yielding its its fruit to us like god made it clear like hey farming is no longer going to be this this easy thing like you're gonna have to sweat over you're gonna have to toil over it's not not gonna be easy there's gonna be weeds yeah exactly yeah and there's no no mention whatsoever of god being like oh and now you have to eat animals oh now animals are gonna run from you oh now animals are gonna try to bite you i mean i'm sure that's part of it but that wasn't explicitly mentioned so i have no reason to believe that i mean we even made mention i mean it's even made mention in genesis the very beginning is that when adam and eve sinned uh that god killed an animal to cover their sin and i think this was cool i I was like you know what that's a christ type that's a christ picture right there that you know there was a there was a there was a there was a sacrifice made in the garden to cover the sinful nature of Adam and yeah. Eve. Well, not just that, but he provided for them out of it as well. Yeah, so there was a provision yes. that was being yes. made. It wasn't just something like no. they didn't mount it on their wall in the little hut of their house, but yet it was a provisional made. Yeah. And I would I would, I would, assume that whatever animal was killed, that it was probably used for meat. Like it was like every yeah. part of the buffalo, uh, every part of that animal was probably used for them. So, I mean, in and, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God gave Adam and Eve these clothings of animal skins and... I think that this is probably one of the best pictures that I could see pre-flood of a Christ type. And, and like almost like a, a sense of hope that, you know, my sins will be covered. And this is where like this comes with like a, a covenantal theology that I love it because you see Christ all throughout the scripture. You see a Christ type, a Christ picture all in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. And it's beautiful. So what about post-flood? We see that God, you know, we see that man has basically... Uh, did what it wanted. It did its own sight, basically the same as in Judges. It did what was right in their own eyes, and they sin against God, and God is like, okay, this creation is 
evil, and they have not listened to me, so there's punishment to be held. And he saves all these creatures and all these animals, you know, two by two, and then there's like a group of uh, uh, other animals. So it's not, I think it's funny too, is that if you go to scripture, it's not every animal is one of a male and a female of each group. It was like a group of people, a, a group of a group of animals, sorry. Uh, herd of animals too in, in some aspects like birds and, and you know rodents and stuff like that it wasn't just one mice or two mice a male and a female like it was actually a number of specifics but anyways so in Genesis chapter 9 we we see that the waters have receded you've got these small group of people and several 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 dozens to hundreds of different animals and then over time they have you know uh, a adapted and evolved in, in, in macro evolution mac, micro evolution and stuff like that to one kind uh, to one species of dogs to others and stuff like that yada 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 so what does God say after they come off the boat he says every creature that moves this is Genesis chapter 9 3 through 5 every creature that moves will be good for you every creature I think it's kind of funny too that later on he says that not every creature is good for you, you know cloven foots and stuff but he says every creature that moves will be good for you as I have given green plants I've given you these and then verse 5 says but don't be a cannibal don't eat humans gotta draw the line somewhere yeah you gotta draw the line somewhere uh, that's, uh, that's an interesting verse because um, like I said at the top of the episode that uh, I looked into uh, the churches and Christianity's, well, God followers, I suppose, whatever you want to call us, uh, the history of vegetarianism within that. Uh, and interestingly enough, there was like a refute to like the way that you described uh, verses three through five there, but I didn't specifically write that reasoning down, and I've already forgotten it because I, I personally didn't agree with it, so it didn't really stick in my so head. The, so are you, are you agreeing that cannibalism is okay? I mean, duh. I mean, okay. Hannibal Lecter did nothing wrong. True. I mean, listen, signs of the lambs, yes. Uh, however, I did take some notes. Um, shame on me for not taking the ones that I should have. But a lot that now, of course, in any situation in which you have Christians uh, or any Christ-loving community that believes in one thing, they're going to think that other Christ followers are wrong for believing in not the exact same thing that they believe in. Lord forbid. Oh, hey, hey man. You heretic, you're not so, a believer. So let's go back pre-fall for just a quick second. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 29 and 30, it says, God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This food will be for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Uh, some Christian communities, which do still exist today, there, there are coalitions that, that believe this. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's not like a majority, and I apologize to anyone in that small minority that might be listening to this. No, no hate. I'm just I'm observing here. You're still elected. Uh, <laughs> think that um, it's sinful. To, to eat meat, basing it on the fact that prior to the fall, there's no evidence within that scripture of animals being okay to eat. And while it is true that literally speaking, God is saying the plants are free for you to eat, the plants are for the animals to eat. There's no mention of the animals being for the humans to eat. That, that is true. Uh, personally, I don't think that that not being specifically included in that scripture means that they weren't eating animals, but that's neither here nor there. I'm just talking about the the logic of those that, that believe the vegetarian is the Christian way. Uh, because those that would disagree with that would point towards the scripture that you just read, that Genesis uh, chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. And there is like a 
refute to that that these Christian like super vegetarians uh, have, but again, I failed to write it down, and since I don't agree with it, it didn't stick in my head, so I don't have it for you. But there is some sort of like naysaying to that. I think mm-hmm. it basically revolves around the concept that it was um, it wasn't God saying that it was okay. It was God like basically. It was kind of a, of a Leviticus-esque law of like, this is how I want you to function within this fallen world, but this isn't the ideal for how my kingdom will function. And I can I can kind of see the logic behind that, but again, I just I personally disagree with it. But with those um, extreme examples uh, falling by the wayside, there. Well, from a dispensational point of oh, view, please speak because I also have to look up yeah. more scripture. <laughs> from a from a dispensational point of view. Which is different than y'all's, but that's okay. That's yeah, maybe gags me. Um, you know, each it, from the vegetarian's point of view, that was what you're talking about happened before the fall. Then you have the great event of the flood happening, alters ev- mankind even further from the fall of man, because you have the judgment of God come upon the earth. I mean, there was all kinds of of things that changed through the event of the flood altered i believe animals as we know it i mean i believe animals were completely different pre-flood than they were post-flood i mean there was a change that happened to their environment happened to plants itself i mean it goes back to uh, microevolution. i mean there there are surroundings and there's a natural selection there's environmental selection sexual selection at that point god's God's looking at his creation in a different manner than he did pre-fall. So, of course, there's going to be changes that are made. Well, and also with the, with the flood in that sense, if there was a, a great catastrophic event that covered all the faces of the earth, then there will be also repercussions yeah. naturally that would have uh, effects on the ecosystems. So, yes, I, I think that you're, you're correct in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but here, here's a question, too, is that do you think that if— a literal interpretation of scripture that you know there is in, in the in the Old Testament, especially in Genesis, that every animal is eating just grass and nuts and stuff. What will the new creation look like and his return? Well, and I think there's going to be obviously banquet and feasting and stuff of that nature. Uh, I do have some scripture for that that is out, also used by the uh, vegetarian Christian community, and it is some prophetic language used in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, which talks about the peaceable kingdom that is to come. Uh. So here is verses 6 through 9 of chapter 11 in Isaiah. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That's a very important piece right there. I'll repeat that. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, even I'll admit, that sounds like some high-quality vegetarian propaganda right it there. <laughs> it, it, very, it sounds like some PETA information there. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, and that, and that is strictly a – and uh, as, as propaganda for the kingdom to come. It is. It's, yeah. it's basically a prophecy of what is to come when Christ returns. And, the, you know, it's, it goes back to uh, Isaiah chapter 2, that war, uh, that nation will not war against nation, that they will beat their swords into plowshares and their, and their uh, spears into pruning hooks, you know. And there'll be peace upon the land. Yeah, and and, that, and that's the message I get from that. I think that that's the focus of that that prophetic language. It's uh, a huge emphasis on peace. I don't think it's necessarily saying like, "Hey, everybody's just gonna eat the greens." 
Yeah, and, and I don't think when the yeah. New Kingdom comes I, that we were not going to see uh, some of those uh, very uh, ap- apocalyptic imagery there. I think that's a lot of me- metaphor being used in that sense. And so I don't think that's a literal interpretation that you'll see a, a lion and a lamb, uh, but yet it is more of a, uh, a metaphor of there will be peace upon the lands uh, in that sense. And I know that you probably disagree with that. Well, I like the literal reading of, of it but i will say <laughs> you know you are right about the peace it's mainly about yeah. peace regardless you know if you take the literal look at it or the metaphorical look but um yeah i completely agree with you guys on that point yeah. and I, I can see where like the vegetarian language comes from in that like i, I, I can, can sympathize with logic i just personally don't agree with but i'd like to represent those people uh, to take it a little <laughs> bit further um You've got pescatarianism is another popular practice. Is that with the fish? Yeah, fish? where the only meat that you eat is is fish. See, I could that do is that. A healthy, I, I could do that. That is a healthy for the human body. That's a very healthy diet. Yeah. just saying. Yeah. and it is actually practiced uh, quite a bit by a lot of Catholic sects. And for anyone that's interested in adding some words to their vocabulary, I actually did write down uh, all the groups of the Catholic faith that do heavily practice this. The Benedictines. The Franciscans, the Trappists, Cartusians, and sis- crap, Sister Sis, dang it! Oh, I was doing this. I was doing so well. <laughs> Cistercians, and I mean, I probably mispronounced all of that, but at least I was confident for the first couple. Um, even some popular leaders within the church uh, throughout history have advocated for either uh, pescatarianism or some form of vegetarianism. Uh, just a couple of examples: John Wesley. Yeah. The founder of the Methodist, Methodist Church was yeah. a very outspoken, like, Christians should be vegetarians. Uh, another example is William and Catherine Booth, who are the founders of the Salvation Army. Huh. And, of course, there are also lots of uh, sects within Christianity and uh, other Anglican religions that just uh, are in favor of vegetarianism for, like, the health benefits and for, like, kind of protesting gluttony as a whole. Yeah. Like, kind of just dieting well in general is a good idea to which I, I think in that principle christians should and i think it's one thing us in the, in the south that we it's probably one of the most greatest deep fry everything yeah yeah, yeah. It is gluttony in that yeah. sense um so i think there is some there is some for cause for implicating a certain set of diets to because i mean pescatarian pesca, pesca, oh my gosh uh, yeah pescatarianism i was about uh, to say don't ask me sorry. i already did all my 10 point words for the day Pescatarianism, I think, is, is probably one of the most healthiest things that uh, an individual can do, yeah. staying away from red beans red yeah. and going with fish. Uh, but what about, and I think, I think some of the, uh, let's look at some, let's go back to scripture a little bit. And uh, I want to point out some people in, in the Old Testament and then go to the New Testament when it comes to uh, eating meat in, in, in a good sense or, or in a bad sense. So, first, one of the first people that we make mention of is Nimrod. So, in Genesis chapter 8 or Genesis chapter 10. You see, Nimrod was a mighty large man, a great hunter who established cities and kingdoms, and Nineveh being, being one of them. And actually, uh, Josephus, he actually makes mention that he is actually one of the dudes, apparently, per Josephus being a Jewish historian, stated that he was one of the guys that rebelled against God and was one of the leaders at the Tower of Babel to lead a rebellion against God for slaughtering his forefathers in the flood. But... You had Nimrod, then you have Esau, which was a twin brother of Jacob, who was, you know, it states that he was a woolly man and hunted, and he tricked his brother, or uh, Jacob tricked his brother Esau into his out of his birthright and blessing uh, at his father. So, I mean, here you have two major Old Testament individuals that were surrounded by hunting that 
in the long scheme of things, weren't really cool guys. Was Jesus ever recorded as eating meat? Besides fish. fish. I don't think so. I mean, okay, so... Ooh. I mean, if we want to, like, Jesus well, shoot this... Well, what's in, what's, in, what's in the Passover well, you can, meal? You can go with a lot there. Uh, the Passover meal a lot of times has lamb because lamb was slain. Yeah, so, sense. I mean, he's so, a Jewish, yeah. practicing Jewish But, man. I mean, yeah. and if you look at it, uh, he went to many feasts, many weddings. I'm sure he partook. He, I'm sure he didn't stick out like a sore thumb. I don't thumb, think there's but, any documentation. Yeah, Jesus but yet, if you got to go to the first no. century Jewish <laughs> not, practice. Not, not. <laughs> No, I was just Jesus asking Jesus was what, Wow, Matthew, no, thank you. No. <laughs> Jesus has a six-pack, bro. Oh, he was ripped. <laughs> He's, <laughs> He's ripped, bro. I was just asking out of He was white and a bunch of Jewish people. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah the even, one white guy in the yeah. Middle East. He stuck out quite a bit. Do you even lift your cross, bro? I mean, Do you ever lift yourself on said cross, bro? Uh, wow. <laughs> Carpet Jesus ain't got enough muscles. Nah, he's wow. kind of wimpy. He's, he's very... Look at them shoulders. Them ain't broad. Come on. Jesus is buffering that. Well, I need to figure out the artist of this thing. Oh, anyways, <laughs> so so in the Old Testament, you definitely have a very—I uh, don't want to say a negative light, but a very not positive light of individuals. I'm not going with the principle of hunting because you see that even within uh, new uh, within covenantal stuff. Because it, I, I, when it comes to sport hunting and provisional hunting, I think within this time frame that I don't think they had the luxury to trophy hunt. And this is where I think this is where the where the rubber meets the road. And is it sinful to hunt? Is it sinful to fish? Is it sinful to do these things? And I'm also taking into consideration of uh, ecological farming and produce and anything that sustains you of using God's creation for your benefit. So a principle in that sense. So I think that there's a good way to do things in a not-so-good way, a biblical way and a not-so-biblical way. And here I think that you see... Uh, that when God created his creation, that he cares for all of his creation, correct? Not only did he create us, but yet we were, you know, basically he created all this. And then here we are. We're part of his creation. He cares for all of his creation. So if he cares for all of it, he also cares for the animals and the land within it. And you see, even in Hosea, Hosea, God made a promise to the animals, made a covenant that war will stop on the land so that they may rest safely. And I think that was kind of cool when I was researching and doing some of the stuff. Like, God made a covenant with animals <laughs> so that they may have peace and rest and graze. And then in Exodus, it was part of the Levitical law that God says to rest your animals on the Sabbath so that they may be well-rested for when they can work later and to not muzzle them when they're trying there, to feed. There's also a uh, Jewish law that you have to let your land rest on the seventh yes. year. Yeah, so it's yeah. not uh, over-butchering the, the soil. Yeah, so, so it gives it time to replenish, which yeah. there is. I, I can give you an actual event that that happened and the results of it, but I'll save that for later. Or do you want me to go ahead? Go ahead. Go for okay. it. So uh, there was uh, some cropland that my dad owned that it got used every single year. Well, when, when my grandpa died, it rested technically two years, but it still rested. The next year, my uncle planted corn, and it reaped twice as much than it had ever reaped before. There's principle there for a reason. And I think that a lot of times Americans think, let's mass produce, mass produce, mass produce, and we're forgetting about the benefit of letting the ra- the, the land rest yeah. and get its break. And things like that make me think of um, there are lots of areas, and I, I think we touched on this a little bit in our science episode, 
a phenomenon that happens in the world that people will say, oh, well, science explains that, so that's not part of, like, God's blessing taking place. That's not part of, like, that God isn't, like, his hand isn't in that. It's just that's what nature works. He knew well, this, though. Yeah, like, God yeah. designed it that way. Yeah. Like, because anyone out there that wanted to, like, disprove God that heard you tell that story would be like, well, duh, that's how soil works. You let it rest for a while. It's going to, like, replenish itself. There's a, an ecosystem there. Like, the worm's going to do their things. The mole's going to do their things. It's it's going to get aerated Nutrated, whatever words are applicable to that. I'm not a farmer. And then it's it's going to be better after two years. Like, that's just common sense. Like, yeah, it's almost like God yeah. knew what he was doing when he created the world. <laughs> yeah. Simple as that. And it's just like, yeah, I don't think that goes back to the intelligent design conversation that we had with the past yeah, episode. Yeah, that's what it was. Is that basically God knew what he was doing and that to be more productive, there has to be better care a certain uh, of, of his creation. And I think that uh, uh, one person I encourage anyone listener, he's a, he's a Christian and he's also a, a, a conser- conservationist uh, is Joel Salatin. And he has a lot of books about how us as Christians can be better stewards. And he's a farmer oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and he's a fantastic guy to go listen to. And he, a lot of it, I, I don't want to say it's extreme, but it's like really difficult stuff to do if you don't have the material and the, the capability to do it. So I mean, as a person and as a, as someone that doesn't have a farm, how does that apply to me? Well, there's certain ways you could do it, but as as Christians, how does how, how can we do this now? Since I don't have a farm, and I'm not someone that has livestock and does all these things and and, and can produce mass product of things, so how can a Christian take uh, this into play? And I think this is where uh, Acts 10:13. I think we can kind of take a principle, a two facet principle that 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 happens in Acts. So in Acts chapter 10 verse 13, uh, Peter has a vision. And this is going back if a little bit of history here is that in the Old Testament for the Jewish people for the Jewish culture that there were certain animals that they could eat and there were certain animals they could not eat. There were shellfish they could not eat. There was cows and lambs that they could eat. And there were certain animals. There's a set law or whatever yeah. that they could or could not. And Matthew probably knows more about that than I do yeah. since he's a Levitical guru. The bulk of that's in Leviticus 11 if the listener desires to go in depth on that. So here in this vision there was a conversation pre-vision is that like okay since christ has come he has come to save all correct he's come first for the jews and then for the gentiles and spoiler alert we're gentiles uh so here the conversation is of combining said two there's been always been a discussion in, in the in the new church is that can jewish believers worship with Gentile believers, can they can do? They need to be circumcised. Do they need to do all these things to be part of the the kingdom of God? So Peter, being a Jewish man, probably had some confliction with this conversation that was going on within the church. He's like, "Yeah, I've been set and I've been rooted up into this law thing, be circumcised and to eat only certain set things. Can I only worship with these people? That's something I've been rooted in." So here, God gives him a vision, and Peter he received a vision from God that there was a there was a sheet, and then the sheet. On top of that was a combination of both clean and unclean animals. And God tells Peter, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And so he's basically, God is telling him twofold things in a multifaceted vision. He's saying, Peter, these unclean things that you have deemed unclean, such as the Gentiles, you can eat with them. You can fellowship with them because they are now clean. And along with that, you can eat shellfish and shrimp and stuff like that. So I, I think it's a multifaceted vision for Peter that God gave us. Like, listen, the things that I have de- uh, that I have deemed unclean, such as Gentiles and fish and stuff, eat with them. Eat with this. It is not unclean for you to eat. And so I think this is a, a good testimony 
I won't say testimony, but a good picture that basically we're not, because of the blood of Christ, we're not confined to be eating only certain said things, such as being a pescatarian, uh, to be part of the kingdom of God. So we're not limited by the things that we eat, uh, that we're we, that we're not. We have the freedom to eat what, what we so choose. And I think that he also uses that as, to go hand in hand with the Great Commission. I mean, yeah. if you're going to a group of Gentiles who eat, you know, let's say pork, well, to the Jew, how could they do that if they if they're like, I'm not eating what you eat, you unclean, you know, heathen? Yeah, is that person going to receive that person? Not at all. So by I think, no means. Yeah. So I think it goes hand in hand for sure. So what does what does Paul say? And he says, you know, when I when I was with the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. I yeah. ate with the Gentiles. When yeah. I was with, when I was with the Jews, I became a Jew, and I ate with the Jews, and I ate like a Jew. So I think there's something to be said about that. And well, I mean, in Asian cultures, if you don't eat what they serve you, they're insulted by yeah. it. So and that's one thing. Like I encourage, and this is one thing. Like I've been to, I've, you know, I've been on a couple of mission trips, and there's been some times where uh, you would go to Haiti, and they would you would receive food that is not American. They don't have McDonald's in Haiti. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, but you re, you receive food that is not typical to the American meal, and sometimes some people would deem I'm not eating that. That's almost disrespectful. That is very disrespectful. hundred percent, yeah. Yes, because when they are, you know, maybe those children are only eating one meal a day, and you're not eating a meal that they give you, that's a disrespect to God's food system, food ecosystem, I guess, in that sense. And I think that goes back to a bigger, broader picture of, like, what's holding down the witness? Is it the food, or is it more of the principle of not eating or eating the food? So either way, you know, we see you see that there's fishermen. Uh, we talk about pescatarianism. I mean, there's nothing wrong with eating fish. You see Peter, James, and John, uh, professional uh, fishermen. And then it, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus even had a feast uh, with them and and stuff like that. So here's where I think a lot a lot of the conversation can be held with how can we? So we see all these things, all these huge amounts of biblical references of animal death and hunting and fishing, but what does a Christian hunting mindset look like? How What does a Christian mindset of provisional sustenance look like? And so the difference between sport hunting and provisional hunting. Um, so let me give you some a little bit of facts about sport hunting uh, in our context and a historical context. So sport hunting, it definitely has its roots in ancient history. You see within the hieroglyphics of of ancient Egypt, that there was uh, royalty and people of status, nobility, people that have wealth that hunted to, to just to hunt, to get big game so that they can claim the status that, okay, I have money. You peasants, you slaves, you don't. And this kind of goes back to one reason, one of the questions, why do we cut grass <laughs> in America? Is that it goes back even to like a feudal lord system with the uh, serfs, is that they cut grass of their huge amounts of of land to shows like I don't need all this land for agriculture and for crops so I'm just going to cut it and have just smooth grass to show you that I've got money that I don't need to grow my crops so it's kind of the same process here within ancient Egypt all the way back then that there was trophy hunting or sport hunting in the sense that is very I think ungodly that you're more of boasting yourself and boasting your self-worth and your and your pride than it is boasting about the thing of sustaining uh, yourself and your family and the people around you. Uh, then, well, I mean, what does it say? Is it, is it, it's, is it uh, uh, Paul, he says, you know, in everything that you eat or drink, give it to the glory of God. 
And I think here within these two principles of hunting and cutting grass is that these are not giving everything you have for the glory of God. And I think that that mindset still rings true when it comes to like mowing the lawn because some people get really, really crazy about the way that their lawn looks. Do they have stripes? Does my yard have stripes? I got to get my stripes in. Well, and Mm -hmm. the thing is, that's not even the most extreme thing about it. When you see see those yards that are just like this bright nuclear green, like that's not how grass looks normally. Like that, that takes some. I want to see that that person's water bill. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That takes effort. It takes money. It takes time. Like, it's all I can do just to keep the the yard mowed. So I've I've got my wildflowers. I've I've got my little touches of violet and yellow and my little uh, dandelions out there, and I like that. I mean, personally, I'm a, I'm a fan of seeing like different stuff in the yard. You want your weeds? Hey man, <laughs> yeah, hey, I, man. and I think that's true. I mean, that's one of the things. Like, I don't like cutting my grass too often because first off, I mean, you're you're almost destroying ecosystems, small ecosystems for us animals and and, yeah. and ants and stuff like that. So it's like. I mean, is that something that we need to be doing on a constant basis? And that's why I think it's encouraging you to have wildflowers to allow the bees to come yeah, in. Yeah, because I, I feel so bad when I do mow. Because, I mean, I don't mow, like, to keep it. We're not like anti-mowing here. Just yeah. let, you, let, let you listeners elect know that we, we mow our yards. We're okay. We're not. Like, I don't have a designated day to do it. But, obviously, when it starts, like, brushing up against my calves, it's like, oh, i got to cut this stuff down <laughs> if I want to walk around my yard. But I just I feel so bad when I'm, I'm, I'm driving down there on the lawn tractor and I see, like, some bees. And I'm just like, dang it. Usually I'll go around them, but I mean, eventually I'm going to take out a flower that they're going to want to go to. I'm just like, man, this feels wrong. <laughs> so there, there's tons of biblical text about taking God care of God's creation. Uh, and this is part of man's duty. We go back to Genesis and we see that God instituted a, a, a standard for Adam and Eve to take care of his creation. Creation, taking care of creation. And so I think this is a principle that we do not uphold as as christians sometimes and even and i'm not saying that as even though i'm a hunter I'm not, even though i'm not a hunter i think that i felt this because i don't recycle so in that sense if i'm not recycling am i taking god's care of creation in a small simple way a small simple way such as recycling can that help the environment yes but am i doing it simple me i'm not even though it's not a sin to to not recycle, but yet not taking care of God's creation is. And I remember one distinct uh, reference to anyone that's been to Haiti, and I don't make mention of Haiti, but yet, you know, it's basically a different world in that sense, is that they have, it seems like most people, even the, the most spiritually strong Christians in Haiti, that I would, I would let them take my spiritual warfare to God don't care about creation care that they would just throw a, you know a water bottle out the door and there's piles of trash everywhere and you say something that's like oh well okay whatever they're more concerned about the spiritual uh, aspect of humanity than there are about the physical aspect of creation care and so uh, there's something to be said about that as well and I think this is one thing in America that it has done a very well or I say westernized culture has done a very good well in the 19th century uh, you know American conservationists have done a good job about regulating hunting to protect endangered species of, of deers and, and other small game and, and, and to aid them in breeding and migration of animals. And so I think this is one thing that we can, you know, say, okay, this is actually a good thing, that there's regulations so that you're not just overkilling animals. And you've even seen that throughout history of extinction of animals, the dodo bird. I mean, that's a pretty dope bird. You've seen the pictures and you've seen uh, uh, skeletons of the dodo bird. That was extinct because of hunting. You're, you're killing an animal off of extinction because you want the pride of having that bird uh, up on your, on your wall. 
that is not taking care of God's creation. The Caspian tigers, Tasmanian tigers, the passenger pigeons, and the western uh, black rhinos was the most recent one that, was, that became extinct uh, in 2011. And so there's a result of the abuse of God's creation. And I'm not only talking about God's creation of taking care of animals and land, but God's creation in general of ourselves too. If we abuse our will, we abuse everything that God has given us to to take it to our standards instead of God's standards, it's going to have a domino effect of destruction, death, and corruption. Yeah, and it is very chilling to see like those images of um, different areas in the world where these endangered animals exist, where they have like uh, kind of the local population volunteering to defend like those few animals. Like, ha- have you ever seen the pictures of like, like in Kenya and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, and there's like yeah. this is the last like this kind of elephant or whatever, and you see this this old elephant just looking just alone because it's literally the last of its kind as far as anyone knows and it's just surrounded by like this volunteer army more or less because poachers want to get at that because it's so valuable like that for one like it's awesome that like people are willing to like stand up and and defend that kind of stuff like that that's cool the conviction that uh, those people have for their environment whether it be spiritually charged or not Uh, but it's also just that that's where the evil comes from We, we talked earlier about like is it evil uh, when like animal death happened like prior to the fall and like no because that's just circle life but th- this is an instance where humans are interfering where they shouldn't be interfering they're well, not being good stewards and i think you mentioned it because of money because of oh, greed yeah. because yep. of the yeah. ivory yeah. And the rhino's tusk and pride yeah of look what i've got you know it, it, that's why it's gotten messed up to your point exactly let me ask this question so why should christians care like if, if 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 you know I'm I'm living I'm alive I can now witness to people's souls and so why does creation care even matter? Because when you serve creation the way it's supposed to be meant to be served, it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus treats us. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean it's completely because He provides for us everything that we need to live. I mean, if you have a dog. Hopefully you're feeding it. Hopefully you're watering it. Hopefully you're taking it to where it needs to dispose of what it's, it's received. We're, 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 we're not candid here. We're, we're, okay. we're completely candid here, so just speak your mind. I mean, I mean I've well, got a sensor. You, you take your dog to go poop. I mean, you take care of what God's blessed you with. It's the same process with hunting. You know, you should dispose of what you don't use properly. I mean, um, for instance, I mean, I'm not going to eat every part of a deer but I'm going to put it to where the coyotes can have a free meal. I mean, it, it's a circle. Treat it how it's supposed to be treated, and you are showing a picture of Jesus, not just to creation, but hopefully to your peers as well. So how can we use, like, so as, in the sense of, like, me as a not hunter, how can I take this principle of creation care to the level that I can take it without, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, even though I am a... Uh, a Christian nonviolent pacifist, but yet I have nothing against uh, guns in the sense of like, yes, go and, and hunt all that you want to. So how can I, someone that is uh, not a hunter, take this principle into practice? Give me some tips. For one, contact a sport hunter. Whatever meat they don't want to eat, you can partake of. I mean, there's different ways. I mean, it's a community effort. Um, definitely from the plant side. Yeah, I think I can yeah, contribute more than the, yeah. the agricultural plant. Uh, yeah, 
plant produce and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, plant some wildflowers for them bees. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. Don't uh, don't use Roundup where you don't need to use Roundup. Yeah. I mean, I think I, we <laughs> plant would genocide would, basically. I think <laughs> saying, oh, plant genocide. I mean, Roundup. That's basically oh, wait, what that, that is. is. A, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the coolest things I've seen uh, within uh, Tennessee. We went to uh, me and a couple of people uh, that went to Israel. Uh, went and visited a, a pastor that was in Nazareth. Uh, he came to the states and was coming in and preaching at different places and, and, and visiting and stuff. And they went to some. They went to a, a Bethel church uh, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. It was in a valley. Beautiful church. And no joke. It was so. It was kind of encouraging. There, there was a community garden there. It had corn. It had you know. It had beans. It had you know. I don't know what they had in there, but like, that is a kingdom top. Uh, uh, principle or a kingdom top action to take and take God's creation and making it to where people could use it and to make it where it is sustaining life in a way that is healthy instead of just like this is my corn this is my stuff that it was basically church planting a garden so that people in the community can use if they don't have it so it's like the same thing with like the uh the way that if you go to Ruth and you read this is like the gleaning the fields is that like the main people that had that harvested the fields God said, leave some extra there so that those that can't afford it or that can't provide for themselves get the excess stuff out of so they will not starve. And so God is setting up an agricultural plan so that people can survive and live and sustain life in that sense. And that goes even to the to the to the to the wildlife aspect is that God provides that the same thing with leaving gleaning uh, innards for the coyotes so that they can survive. Because there's an ecosystem that goes along. God has designed it, intelligently designed his creation in a way that it survives. So there's a way to definitely use that to its potential. Right. And there's always that time that Jesus snapped his fingers and made a field instantly harvestable. So. Okay, we're yeah. not debating that because I that is not yeah. what happened. Good story. You don't know that. <laughs> but, I mean, there, 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 there's a sense that... Uh, God has given us a gift of animals and has given us the gift of creation to be used but not to be abused. And I think that's it's a perfect thing is that God has given us a gift such as creation to use. Yeah. And the same thing with like God has given us salvation as a gift, but we shouldn't abuse it either. No. I think anything that God has given is a gift. We should never abuse. Well, and that's why I think the TWRA, we use them for instance, has done a wonderful job with the way that they – maintain when you can hunt how many you can tag out meaning you're allowed i think this year it was two bucks and three doves that's it you're done you're retired for breeding purposes right? for breeding purposes for replenishing purposes that it's also different for different parts of the state but it also comes down to your local hunter as well he should also know what is what does my population look like so it's more of like yeah. it's also up to the hunter yeah. to know this and, information and a good hunter will say okay I've got some deer here that the antlers are looking pretty poor. What does that mean? It means, okay, the uh, the nutritional value is not needed here, so I'm going to get my deer the nu- nutrients that they need. Also, you can look at if you've got, like, for instance, I've got some deer on my property that have some wonky antlers. Like, they're just messed up. That that comes from a nutrition depletion, and so what happens is they 
they get the nutrition that they need early, but then they don't have the nutrition that they need later on. So my duty as a hunter, I want to give these deer the nutrition that they need, not just because it makes a beautiful sport, but because it helps the deer out in the process as well. Mm -hmm. And so I want to give them some spinach during the winter that they can receive so that they are healthier themselves. And it, it's a, so the, a godly Christian hunter is going to take into effect the, the animal that he is pursuing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Just as the good farmer is going to look at his uh, cow and say, it's got pink eye. I need to do something about this. I need to go get, you know, the treatment. I mean, like some farmers will rub salt in the eye of the cow. Ouch. Yeah, <laughs> it's a painful process, but it gets rid of the pink eye to keep the keep the animals that you're trying to harvest healthy. So that's that's a that's a that's that's a very interesting. Uh, I can make a, a parallel here. Is that could you not say that God does the same thing for us that when we are unhealthy and nutrient deprived nu yeah. nutriently deprived and yeah. malnourished. <laughs> malnourished malnourished yeah uh that sometimes god gives us what we need but yet isn't ready to pull us to harvest us for uh kingdom work in yeah. that i sense. mean where where is it in scripture where uh i believe it's i believe it's god that said it not not jesus specific i don't think it was it's the same person whatever I'm, I'm thinking like is it older new testament <laughs> yeah, but regardless there's some scripture says like it's a blessing to be chastised uh, by God, because it's better to be chastised as a follower of God than to not be a follower of God, essentially. Yeah. And that's an intense paraphrase, but it's just that came to mind. And I mean, also, too, you're looking in the sense when you're looking and taking care of that animal in your fields is that you're also, which I, I know you, you're, you're a hunter that provides for your family. So once you kill that deer, you, yep. you take that meat and you freeze it, you get processed and stuff like that, and you take it for your family. That you're looking out for your family as well. Yeah. Uh, and I know, you know, my coworker at work, uh, he's a hunter, avid hunter too. And he's one of those that when he, he told me that when he hunts, every time when he kills a deer or, or whatever, he thanks God for that, for that animal. So I think there's there's a there's a good way to hunt. So what's the what's a bad way in America to take produce and, and to take in uh, animal livestock and hunt? Well, I think you can clearly see that historically speaking. I mean, we've all seen the picture of hundreds of buffalo oh laying beside yes. of the rail car and them standing beside real proud. And I mean, they were completely depleting what the American Indians lived off of yep. after we kicked them out of their natural land. That's, that's so a whole different topic. That's a whole different topic. Yeah, and but, basically, but that's a perfect yeah. example of how Americans have mass produced, mass hunted, mass destroyed ecosystems for money, pride, what else would you throw in the bucket there? I don't know. I'm just letting you go on. It's mm, I love hearing you say these things. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I think the, the 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 question is, and I think this this whole uh, the spurred this conversation, and uh, I think it's a fantastic conversation. And uh, is is it sinful to hunt and to have animals mounted on your walls? And the short answer <laughs> is no. No, it's well, not. And, and even the mounting process, it's not either because you are thankful for what god has given you i think you can look at it two ways i mean there is two ends of the spectrum as there is two ends to the hunting who are you giving glory to yourself or are you giving glory to god i know every time that i go hunting i pray lord let this be a clean kill because i've had times that i've put pride in myself my own ability to shoot whether that be bow or a gun and i've drastically messed it up and i had to see that animal suffer um 
and I would not wish that upon anyone. So when I get into the tree stand or blind or whatever, I'm praying, Lord, let this be a clean kill. And I think that goes back to the conversation that we've had before in the past with like tattoos and a said, yeah. and a said thing too. If you're mounting these things on the wall, are, is it bringing, man, I've done such a great job at killing that. Look at me, pat myself on the back. Same thing with tattoos. It's like, man, look at all these tattoos that I got, boast myself up. Uh, making myself nice and pretty or is it like these are something that I use to give glory to God are these mounted things on my wall is that giving glory to God or these tattoos on my body is it giving glory to God it's all like in everything that you do give glory to God so there is very a prideful action and that can be done in hunting and I think even more so than um, us having discussion over like what's a sin what's not a sin within hunting I think it's just good to have these sorts of uh, discussions these sorts of episodes where we take a subject matter that people might not necessarily think uh, is something that you can take to scripture uh, because I feel like a lot of people might think of hunting as being something that can be separate from their Christian life. Like it can be yeah. something that, that scripture doesn't say anything about. It can be something that God doesn't necessarily have like super strong feelings about. It's just something you do. Well, because, because it's silent about doesn't mean it's not talked about. Exactly. The it. So I, I think it's good to, to go to scripture about something as specific as, as hunting or dietary choices in general that aren't explicitly spoken about in the Bible, but you can still go to scripture to find wisdom to apply to those situations. But that's what we want to do here on Cross Training. We want to look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. So with all that being said, Catch up with us on social media. Send us some some hate mail. Send Caleb some hate mail. But send it all yeah, we, the same email. It'll be, it'll be in the description. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, and until next episode where maybe we'll have Mason back. Or, hey, man, maybe maybe we've got his replacement right here. Yeah, Who maybe knows? we've kicked Mason. That's right, Mason. Yeah, Earn your seat back, Mason. <laughs> until then, Tanner, give us those magic words. Peace out.